So was gone last week, got a chance to be with Redemption Flagstaff. Um, I did sit in in the service at the 5 o'clock, and so it was good to have, to have Wayne with us from, from Redemption Alhambra. Uh, today we'll pick up again in Psalms, and, and uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 139. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. We want you to have a copy of the Bible so you can walk along with us. And um, just keep it raised high, and someone's going to give you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own a copy, keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and knowledge of Jesus. And so um, before we pray and look at God's word, let me kind of give you an overview or just even some structure and direction on where we're going. So as we look at the Psalms, one, if we step back and recall, Psalms, whether you have the Psalms or Proverbs and so forth, that's a part of the scripture that's known as the wisdom literature, meaning that these particular scripture are giving us wisdom and how to relate to God and how we live our lives. And so as we read Psalms, we begin to understand that these are songs that were written by different people and that they were like sang together with God's people, but also written in a way to bring instruction into our lives as what does it look like for us as men and women to ultimately submit to the Lord's of God. And so we've looked at different types of psalms, um, confession, lament. Today we get opportunity to look at a thanksgiving psalm, psalm, which is pretty good because all I've been teaching so far is lament. And finally we get opportunity to give thanks to the Lord, particularly for who he is. Now, David writes this psalm, who's King David. Um, he writes this psalm in praise of who God is in his life and that he's present and that he's everywhere. So the first part of the psalm shows us one thing is that God knows us. And that knowing is an intimately he knows us, not just about us. And We'll talk about that. Then it's the same God who knows us, the same God who pursues us. So he's the one who's coming to find us and bring us to himself. And then lastly, that this God who knows and pursues us is also the same God who sets us up apart for his purposes. And so when we go through that, um, the last few verses of that shows a response of God's people as a response, respond to God's knowledge of them, his pursuing of them, and ultimately setting them apart. And so that's what we look at this morning. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your, your light, your life, your love, your mercy and grace that's been extended to us, Lord, as a people right now, God. Those of us who trust and know you, those of us, Lord, who are confused about you, those of us who do not know you, God, that you would reveal yourself equally um, and powerfully. God, we know that our words, Lord, are not the things that, uh, that bring about change, but it's your power. And the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God, as your word says, does not exist in talk but in power. And so we pray for your power right now, Lord. We pray for the spirit to illuminate the scriptures that we may understand it, that we may know you and see you clearly. In Christ's name, amen. So if I ask a question to you of who knows you, right? If somebody's saying, who knows you? And not like who knows about you, but who knows you the most? Like if you had to pick those people in your life and go, all right, this person, if they were the right about me, they would get it correct. Like they would get me. Right? Do you have those people in your life, whoever that person in your, in your mind is? Maybe it's your spouse if you're married. Maybe it's a friend if you, if, if you have a friend or whoever it may be, right? It's somebody that, that knows you. And then, and, then, and then if we're just being honest, we go, nobody really knows us. Because we're the type of people that compartmentalize everything. And so we only let certain people get certain parts of us. So, so maybe there's, there's friends that you've known um, in college and post-college, and they know the part of you since you were 18, the part that's been, like, trying to be cool and trying to figure it out, right? And then there's the people who know you before college, and like, this dude's been a nerd the whole time, right? So there's, there's those people. Your family knows you. And we're used to saying our family knows us, but we know there's always things that we hide from our family. There's still things my mom will say, hey, did you tell me the truth of that? I'm like, hey, why? I'm 33 years old. You don't need to know that, you know? 
That was a long time ago. Why are you bringing up old stuff anyway, right? And so there's just things you, not everybody knows. Or even if you sit down with someone and you want to give them like your heart, maybe it's a counselor, a pastor, so forth. You're like, hey, don't tell anybody else this. You don't really give yourself to everybody. Like no one really, really, really knows you. And part of that is this. If we're just being honest with ourselves, there is that fear that if someone fully, fully knows me, there's no way that they'll fully, fully love me. And so we pick. Um, because we want to be fully, fully loved, that's just an innate desire we're created for. Because we want to be fully loved, we give just enough to get you there. Give just enough of myself that, that I know that you will still accept me and you'll love me. Well, because I know if I'm fully, fully known and you know everything about me, then you may not accept me. But is, is there a space, is there a relationship um, where you could be fully, fully known, good and bad, and at the same time fully accepted and fully loved? And what David gives for us in, in Psalm 139 is that very, very experience, namely in the person of God, as we understand through redemptive history, as experienced and known through his son Jesus. And so he breaks this down in God's knowledge of us and him knowing us, like I talked about earlier. And then he begins to point to ultimately how that happens and ultimately how how God himself is pursuing us, not just knows facts about us, and then how he set us apart. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that now. So if you are with me, verse 1 is the thesis of this whole chapter. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. He says, you have searched me and known me, meaning like you know me, like nobody knows me like you know me. And like this, this is God, and he's speaking of God's, that God's omnipresent, meaning he knows all things and he's everywhere at the same time, and that this God knows him. And so when he says, you search me, it's not that God is scanning him, interrogating him. He's just going, if there's somebody who knows everything about me, it's God. And that could be comforting to some of us, and that could be scary to all of us, right? That, that God knows everything. Well, then he begins to explain this knowledge of God of us. He says, you know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He, he's saying, you know me. Now, this knowing is not, again, just facts. This is not the type of things that you could just find out about people. There's all sorts of things on the internet where you could just find out about people. So um, in my little news feed, there, I'll read different articles or whatnot, and um, there's always these, like, advertisements. And one of the advertisements is, like, how you can look up people and find their criminal records and things like that. I'm like, that's kind of sick. Put my name in there. <laughs> See what it's like. Some ticket showed up back in the day. It's like this person has a criminal record. I'm like, oh man, what are they saying about me? I got this ticket. Full confession, guys. I'm, I got a ticket one time driving, uh, and uh, and and another one, and another one. But anyways. Like, you can find out those sort of things, or you can find out things on social media about people, or at least what they want you to think about them. Um, there's, there's ways to find out facts about people, but it doesn't mean you know them. Like, you don't know like intimately. There are, there are things that when you're close with people, you know because you're with them. Like, people know that around me, if I'm not talking at all, like, hey, man, are you all right? Because I talk a lot. And I'm like, how'd you know? Because you're not talking. I know. It hurts, right? There's, 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 there's just things that you know. When, when, when it says that God knows us, he's saying he knows, he knows about us. He knows when we, sit down, when we stand up, when we sit down. He knows our thoughts from afar. And what he's saying is he, he knows what you're thinking, what you're going to think. He knows what you said, what you would have said. He knows every word that you've uttered out of your mouth. That's getting scary, right? He knows, he knows all of it. 
And it, and it, it, even, it even says here that he, he sees our thoughts from afar so, far, so he knows our motives. Now think about that, just God knowing even our words, right? That, that how would you talk differently if you knew God was in the room or if you believed it, right? Cognitively, you know, God's everywhere, but do we really talk as if he's there? Like you know what it's like to tie you talk differently around different people. Oh, you guys, and oh, no, not me. Yeah, you do, right? And if you're lying, you're lying, and you're in the presence of God. It's bad. And he knows. He knows. So, so there's, 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 there's uh, my wife says to me, I can always tell when you're on the phone who you're talking to. And that's just a politically correct way of her to say, I know when you're talking to white people or black people. <laughs> right? That's what, she, that's what she's saying, right? She, that's, that's the way of her. Because I, I get what she's saying. Because, you know, I'm, I could be talking to some people. I'm like, all right, yeah, 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 it's going down the night. Can't wait. Right? Or, yeah, it's going to happen tonight at 7 p.m. <laughs> e- evening time, right? Like, she understands there's a certain swag I have when I'm talking to my white friends. So, I knew you guys were going to get that, like, after the fact. But that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. So there, there, there's, there's ways in which we talk when people are in the room, or there's certain things that we say that we would not say if that person was in the room. And so, so just imagine your words and your thoughts as if God is there, because he is. We'll, we'll say things like this to people. Hey, that's between you and me. It's not. God's like, I'm here, right? I'm always here. And this is a good thing, because when he says he knows you, he fully knows you. That when you, when you come before the Lord, even when you come and you confess your sin before the Lord, or your need of him, he's like, I knew that. Like, there's nothing that's surprising God. There are things that we do, and we will say things like, I cannot believe I did that. God's like, I knew you would do that, and yet I still love you. I fully know you. You're fully known, and you're fully loved. That his presence there matters. That this is not saying, I'm here to to freak you out, right? This is not a deterrent. This is saying, I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. That when David writes this psalm, he's saying, first and foremost, this God of this world is not just a transcendent God, which is just a word that means he's other, he's large, he's big, but he's also a God who's imminent, meaning he's near and he's close, and he knows when I wake up in the morning and I get on my feet. He knows the first thing that I do is think and check my Facebook status or an email address that I know I shouldn't do. He knows the first thing I do in the day. He knows the next thing. He knows what I'm going to do tomorrow before tomorrow's even here, and he's with me. And he's not going anywhere, that he knows us. Well, David continues this this thought of God knowing us in verse 5. He says, you hit me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. When he says you hit me in, it's the picture of protection, that God cares. He's not just saying, oh, yeah, I know who that person is, as opposed to that person, that woman, that man, that name, whatever your name is, they're mine. And I want to protect them. That his desire is for you and for your good. By no means in communicating that, that, that does communicate that if you are in Christ Jesus, that nothing bad is going to happen. No, no, no. We live in a broken world. And Jesus Christ has not come yet to fully redeem and restore. So in the midst of that, we have God's presence and his desire for us and his care. But also we experience the pain and the suffering that this world brings. But he's saying, I'm there for you. I'm not going anywhere. The, the, the picture here of you hitting me in, the, like you're there to protect me, is that, that picture of the mom that's, that's driving. You know, the moms always drive, and, and, and they, they slam on the brakes, and then they, they do this with their hand, right, to try to stop the kid. 
you're never going to stop that kid. But, but they, they do. They put their arm out there like this arm. This is the mighty hand of a mother. And um, the seatbelt can't do what this hand can do, right? There's, there, there's that picture of a loving mom just saying, like, just right here, right here, I'm with you. And then David stops and he pauses and he goes, it's too wonderful for me. You know what? It may not be wonderful for us because how long do we, how often do we sit and think about what God thinks of us? We care what others think of us. We care what our employer, employers think of us. We care what people, if they liked something on Facebook or didn't like it or whatever. But how often do we sit and go, what does God say about us? Right? He says, when I begin to think of this, it's, it's too wonderful. Like, whenever you got to the point where, like, God, you're too wonderful. He's saying, this is very personal. This is too wonderful the way you think of me, God. This is, a, this is absolutely amazing that you know me. And the same God that, that knows us wants us to be with him, desires for us to be with him, desires for us to know that we are fully known and fully loved. Read with me in verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark for you. The night is bright as day, as the day. The darkness is as light with you. Here's what he's saying here. The God who knows this is the God who pursues this. And he begins to talk geographically here. And, and he uses the just position of going, if I'm in heaven and there's full of life, you're there. If I sleep with the dead in Sheol, you were there. Whether in living or whether in dying, you were there. He, he, he goes on to say, if I'm in the eastmost part where the sun rises, you're there. If I tried to escape to the westmost part where the sun sets, you were there. Like there's nowhere I can go from you. Like you're, you're, you're everywhere and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know why? When you love somebody or you want to be with somebody, you want them with you everywhere you go. Those of you guys who are married or dating or have really good friends, you know how you want your friends there. You, you don't want to just experience the restaurant. You want them there too. That's why you take pictures of your food and you send it all to us, right? <laughs> there, like there's, 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 there, you, you want people to experience what you experience. And, and think of it even romantically as our stages go. Like when you're, when you're a young kid, and I'm not really sure when everybody else start like liking people like romantically or whatever you could think romantically. Me, I was probably like 18 months, right? So there, there's... <laughs> You're a kid, and when you're in elementary school, maybe it's you want that person to have the same recess as you. Like, you want them to be at recess. You want them to see you, right? You want, hey, I'm playing handball over here. I'm about to do work. If you want to come experience this, come check it out, right? And so, so you have that. Or you get into, you know, junior high and high school, you have, like, different homeroom and classes. Like, whatever classes you have that you normally check out in, you know, science, math. So uh, <laughs> the, the classes you check out on, you want that person in the class. Like, as soon as the schedules go out, you're like, man, I wonder if she's in my class. I wonder if he's in my class. And you find out. Then you get to college and you just wonder if they're going to go to the same places you go to, if they're going to be at Club Rio, like whatever, whatever, right? And then after college, that stage of after college to death, that, that's, that stage you just wonder if they're on the same dating site as you. I don't know, right? You're just trying to figure out where is this person at, but I want them around me. Okay, it, when it comes to the awesome love of God that he's everywhere, you got to think of God is not 
pursuing you to get you in trouble. He's not the police with like some sirens, some spiritual sirens where he's getting behind you. and All of a sudden your heart starts beating faster. He's pursuing you to absolutely overwhelm you with his grace and his love and to bring you into his presence. So when David begins to describe this, he's saying, there's nowhere I can go. And he says, even if the darkness came in, and the darkness can be symbolic for evil and justice and sin, the darkness could be literal for like, when I cannot see, you become my light. Regardless of what it is, he's saying not just um, in terms of space, you're, you're you go wherever I'm at, but even in my darkest moments, even in the season of darkest, of my darkest season, you're there. I, I had a, um, a mentor of mine early on when I first became a Christian, and um, he was telling me one time how God can only go so far with us. He goes, you know, one time I was watching, I was at this movie theater, and I was watching this movie that, that I shouldn't have been in, and I sat through that movie, and I shouldn't have watched this movie, and I knew it, and, um, and he goes, Ricardo, you know what? God came with me all the way up into those doors. And when I walked in those doors and that place of darkness, God couldn't come with me because he doesn't go where there's evil and where there's sin. And here's the thing. He's well-meaning, but that's just theologically incorrect. He was wrong. I didn't know it at that time, and I probably wouldn't have said it because he was so mature in my life. And, um, but God is everywhere, even in that dark space and even in those dark places whether it be places of our own sin or places of our own mourning or places of our own doubt, like God's there. Because if he's not there, who the heck's going to get us out of there? Like the, the, the purpose of our God when he shows himself is he pursues us. Right? The, the best book that I've read all summer, this is by, I mean, worshipful book. There, there's a friend of ours who actually is going to be coming to speak here in September for First Wednesday, Joshua Butler. But he wrote a book called The Pursuing God. And I was spending some time with him this summer, and, and the first book that he wrote was about, like, hell and holy war and judgment and wrath. Like, it was like a really light, light read. And then this, this second, the second book was Pursuing God. I'm like, why the two books? He goes, well, the first book I wrote for the culture, the questions that I think people are asking. He goes, the second book I wrote for my daughter. <laughs> and wanted her to understand who God is. And it's not a children's book, but it is so magnificently simple and refreshing. And the point he talks about this pursuing God is that we always think that we're on a mission to pursue God, that we're going to find God. And he says that to basically sum up the book, God doesn't need to be found. He's not lost. We're the ones who are lost. We just have the desire to be found. We have the, we have the desire to know that there's a God who fully knows us, good and bad, and yet fully loves us and is after us and after us for our good, which brings him glory. That there's a restfulness in that. He says, Isn't it, we don't need to find God. God. God doesn't need to be found. We need to be found. And he goes, and when it comes to the light, we say things like, we have to find the light. The light's already there because God is already here. We just have to be willing to come out of the darkness. We got to be willing to come out of our darkness and experience the light that the Lord gives us that we may see and know and how to live in light of who he is on our behalf. That the good news is what we have is God sent his son, Jesus, that we may know the Father that God already knows us. We don't know him. And the way that we know him is by looking intently and following his son who gave himself for us. And that's the way in which we begin to follow him. And when we trust him and know him, what the psalmist is telling us is there's nowhere where we, can, we can hide from him. There's no way we can run. That this God is always with us. The same God who knows us fully is the same God who pursues us passionately. Amen? But there's a purpose that God has. 
is not just in knowing us, and it's not just ultimately in even pursuing us and showing his love and flexing his love muscles, but there's a way in which he's saying, there's something I have for you. There's a purpose I have for you. And it's not as specific sometimes as we would like, like what do I want to be when I grow up, but it's far more gracious and far more free than we can even imagine. If, if you pick up here with me in verse 13, we'll start. Looking at this God who has set us apart. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Here's the first part he says in verse 13. He says, you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. He just goes back. He goes, this is where this all started at. Um, when we think about our stories, if I sit down with somebody, especially somebody who's a Christian, here's how it goes. Tell me your story. And they go, something to the nature, they begin to tell a testimony um, of uh, what God did in their life. And what I usually try to say is, I don't necessarily just hear your testimony. I want to hear your story. Are they different? Yeah, because what some people would say, they would look at me, and my testimony is, I didn't know God, and at 22 I met Jesus, and now I'm saved, and one day he's going to take me to heaven. Boring, right? What I want to know is your story, like, because your testimony will be a part of there. Like, who are you? Where you came from? And then we'll get their story. And then I'll ask people, when did your story with God begin? And they'll usually have some sort of, like, 8 or 9 or 10 or 18 or 80 or whatever it may be. Um, and yet what the scriptures teaches is your story with God began before you began. <laughs> that this thing called you and your relationship with God is not about you and your own might holding on to him, but him and his own love holding on to you. That, that he says, you, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And when he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that language there is not that your outer appearance is so good looking, right? And I'm not trying to say you're not. I'm just, I'm just saying sometimes we look at that, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's going to help me with my outward appearance. No, 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 no. Like, listen, here's what's going to help you with your outward appearance. Your mama and your daddy, right? And if they ain't got it, you ain't going to have it. Sometimes it comes out and then you know, it's like, oh, that baby looks better than their parents. Whatever, right? And so, so that, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking far more that you were set apart for a purpose, that God had something in store for you before there was a you, <laughs> that God was already at work in your life, whether you knew it or not, whether you had responded to it or not. And he says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm fearfully set apart. He says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The language there is going that God is the one who's inside the womb putting this child together. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of those body works science museums um, when they bring them here in Phoenix and they, they have the pictures of the bodies. And I had a very weak stomach, like very weak, and I can't even get into some of the stories of how weak my stomach is. But I love being in there. And there was moments where I was like, uh, mm. <laughs> um, But the babies, which were the hardest to look at, because there's special room for it, it was still just magnificent to see what a baby looked like at three weeks. And listen, this is not a pro-choice or a pro-life. This is me talking about scripture. God cares about this life. This is, this is David's way well before our day and age to say, hashtag, my life matters. Like, God, God cares about me. 
He was in there making it happen. And he formed and he fashioned me that, that, that this was God's doing. This was his design. That God is the one who initiated this. Like, this is the God who set me apart. And my, his, his thoughts of me are out of control. He says in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Here's what he's saying. Before I became three, before I became eight, before I did this thing, good or bad, before any of these things, you were there. Before I knew there was a you, you were there. But the, but the point he's saying here is that we, we operate out of potential. Like we look at people and we go, this kid, this woman, this girl, this, this man has a potential to be something, right? And if you've been around here for some time, I hate that word. Potential to me is usually some well-intended adult telling some teenager or something um, what they have the potential to become. And they're trying to motivate them. But usually they, they create this mountain for them. And if that kid never gets to that mountain, they feel like a failure. Didn't make it. Only became the president of the world. Right? Is it like, like, there's like this potential as opposed to God doesn't operate in potential. Because potential is basically you doing something. God operates in promise. Whatever it is that he's promised for you, he'll get you there. Whatever he said, he's going to do. So when he says that the one himself who starts a good work in you is going to finish it to completion, it's going to happen. We faithfully walk and step into his presence and obedience and trusting of who he is as a good God who's on our side. That, that when, when, when we read here that he goes, you saw my unformed substance and, and, and ultimately in your book was written everything before it happened. He's saying, this is not God's impeding upon your free will or your volition. This is his sovereign act saying he knows the beginning from the end. And we can't really figure that out. All we can do is by faith begin to take one foot and put it in front of the other. And the next day put the one foot in front of the other and follow God, trust in his son Jesus, knowing that ultimately we know the outcome and that we will always be his because he's always been ours. Amen? But, but the trusting in him. He goes, this, this, is, this is you setting me apart. And then there's like the like icing on the cake or the cherry on top. I don't really like cherries, but I know that's a phrase. Like the cherry on top. This is the snicker on top. Is, is when you read verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Here's what he's saying here. Your thoughts of me, Lord, they're amazing. They're better than even my thoughts of myself. And let's think about it. We got some good thoughts of ourselves, right? They're, we think of ourselves a lot. We're pretty self-absorbed people. Like when you daydream, you don't daydream about somebody else winning, right? You daydream about yourself. And if it's closing the deal, if it's getting the grade, if it's getting the person, if it's winning the game, trust me, how many times are you winning in your stories in your head, right? And, and, and if, we're, if, we're, if we're really honest, some of us go back to things that already happened in our life and we redo like that. What would have happened if this would have? Yes, I win, right? We, we do that a lot. And so we, we, we think about ourselves a lot. But what he's saying is as much as we think of ourselves, God thinks of us way more. That God is sitting, and hear me, he's talking about you. Like, oftentimes in Scripture, it's really communal. Right now, he's saying, no, no, individualize this. Like, this, if there's a time to individualize it, now's the time. He said, I think about you a lot. I'm always thinking of you. And he's not just sending you the text saying, I'm thinking of you. <laughs> he's got a lot. 
And, he say, and the way David says it, it was like the sum of them. If you put it together, it's like trying to count sand. You just can't do it. He goes, I'm trying to think of the many ways and the many ways in which God thinks of me. And then I fall asleep. And when I wake up, he's still thinking of me. We care what other people think of us. We care more about what our parents or coworkers think of us. And then our lives would be radically changed if we lived into, stepped into, believed what God thinks of us and what God says of us. And the way we know that is by the revelation he's given us through the scriptures. David says, he, it's just too much, God. You, 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 you know me fully, and you love me fully. That's enough. You, you uh, not only do you know me fully and pursue me fully, you, you, you begin to pursue me in a way that you reveal yourself, that I don't have to go looking for you because you've sent your son Jesus and the Holy Spirit to find me. That, that, that you've actually set me apart, that now I'm a part of your plan and what you're doing. And then now I find out this is something you've, already been, you've always been up to. Like you're, you're just good, right? And even when it's dark, you're there. And I, I'm just, I love that. And I don't love it because it's unique. I love it because it's true. So we were singing, we were singing that song, and no, put, no need to put it on the screen, but we were singing the song, the first song. And I think we're going to sing it at the end. Um, I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry about that. Um, um, you are good. You are good. Oh, good. And then it says, see, my notes are way easier. I just don't bring them. Now i got to find the singers. Oh, it says, um, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. It's a very simple song, but gosh, that truth is just amazing. And the reason why I think we need to hear that is um, the first hour I was sitting back there, and I'm, I'm, we're singing that song, and I'm watching people walk in late, which is fine. And, uh, and, and then the highs and the lows, right? There's, 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 a, there's, there's two people that walked in that I know that are going through chemo right now. There was another couple that I know that just lost, lost, uh, lost a child through um, um, miscarriage. And there's two couples who had just got engaged. Um, and there's another couple who had just gotten married. And you just, you just start seeing, like, there, when we gather as God's people, when we gather as people in general, there's just so many highs and lows. And David's saying, in the highs and lows, God's there. In the worst of your days, God's there. In the best of your days, God's there. Let me tell you, I love weddings. They're absolutely amazing. I love the excitement that people have, the excitement the families have. And, and yet, funerals are real. And what I mean by that is, well, the Bible says it this way. Better to be in the house of mourning than the house of laughter. But there's something about the realities of our own pain that when we step into it or the realities of other people's pain when we step into it, we, real, we realize, like, this is, this is difficult. And this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise saying, in heaven, you're there. In Sheol, you're there. To the east, you're there. To the west, you're there. In light, you're there. And even in darkness, it's not dark to you, God. Like, isn't it good for us sometimes to go, it may be dark to me, but it's not dark to my God. It may be out of my control, but it is never out of his control. And we step into that, not trying to emotionally manipulate ourselves, but to understand what it means to live in the reality of biblical truth that God is never going to let us go. Well, when, when, when you understand his knowledge and his pursuit and him setting you apart, you begin to tether yourself to him. And now you love what he loves, and you hate what he hates. 
And David goes there. In fact, look at verse 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. When I first read this, I remember years ago, first reading the Bible, I was like, dang, what happened to him? Like, he was just like, God, you man, your thoughts of me are great. I hate the, hey, let's get them, Jesus, let's get them. We're about to, we're about to drive by on these guys, right? And it's just like, what, what happened? Like, David got real gangster all of a sudden. And, and, and it's hard for us to understand sometimes because I don't know if our passion and love for God is equal to David sometimes. I mean, you, we think of about it in little trivial ways. If a friend of ours is upset with somebody because that person wronged them, we immediately hate that person. You don't even know. You, I hate her too. Do you know her? No. <laughs> but you do, and you don't like her, and I don't like her. I mean, we, 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 we will, because I love you, I don't like anybody who doesn't like you. Like, we get it at that level. But when it comes to God being able to hate injustice and, have to, and having to, to ultimately defend his cause, we, we, like, get all weird about that. But if we are part of him and he's Lord, we tether ourselves to what he's doing in his mission. And so when David says this and he goes, um, that, oh, slay the wicked, he, these are not people who are just sinning against God or just people who don't believe in God. These are people that are taking lives of which God created and he says that matter. This is injustice that is happening. He goes, Lord, never be. So if they're against you and they're against your fame and they're against your mission, I cannot be for them and I cannot be neutral. Hear me. You are either for him or you are against him. It's a man to, yes, he knows me, he pursues me, he's found me, and it has to be amen to whatever he says and whatever he calls me to do and whatever his purposes are, has to be amen to that too. Even when culturally it's categorically confusing for us. Even when I don't even fully, fully understand yet, if this is God's ways, then I step into, submit to, and understand that it's good, right, true, and beautiful. So David is not just lashing out against people, he's lashing out against injustice because God is for justice. Because and he knows it all. And he goes, I'm with you. I'm a ride or die with you. <laughs> He's, I'm with you, God. And whatever it is that you have for me, I'm with you. And then he concludes it in the response to God's knowledge of him and pursuit of him and set him apart with an invitation of God to search him. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, I can't speak on behalf of these other people, but know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You'll search me and know my heart. And what he's, what he's saying there is, Lord, though I know you, there needs to be some correction in my life, some spiritual recalibration, right? Like I can give you all of who I am and my worship and I will follow you and I know that you're always with me. You're always pursuing me. Set me apart. I get that, God. But could you also search me and look at my heart? Like what are the things that are deadening my affections for you? And let me remove those things in my life that I may experience the glory that you have. Um, the, the way I think of it is um, when I was finishing my master's a few years ago, um, I would do all the content. I would do all the writing. But I, um, I'm not a good writer. I don't write good. <laughs> and so what I, would, what, I would, what I would do, I know I'm supposed to say well, um, is uh, I would write all the content and then I would submit it to my editor, um, my wife. And... Uh, and, and I knew that whenever I would, I mean, it, these long papers, I'd write these papers and I would give it to her like, like this. Because I knew she had that red, that red little marker was like, 
right? And, and, and she would just mark it up and, and, and help me out and, and point, like, you can't use a comma there. That's not really a word. Um, that's, you know, just, 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 just a lot of those things, right? And then afterwards, it would, it would just look clean, and she'd hand it back to me. I'm like, man, I wrote that? And she goes, not really. But, but we've made the corrections, and I've seen what need, I mean, I understood the gist of it, but this had to be removed. That needed to be added and so forth. That when we ultimately submit our lives to Jesus, he washes us and he cleanses us. The content's already there. But we constantly are refreshing and give our lives to Jesus again and again and again and again. And through his word and his scripture and his people, he's doing the correcting. He's searching us. He's cleansing us and ultimately presenting us to himself as fuller and cleaner and more looking like his son Jesus than we first began. It's the reason why we take communion every week. It's a reminder that, yes, we are fully redeemed. We are redeemed in the Lord, that he's never, he's never going to let us go. But in the process, he's constantly cleansing. We need to repent. And we need to confess that ultimately we may be led in his everlasting way. And there's only one everlasting way. And that is Jesus. And that's submitting to Jesus and the life in which he's given us. It's the good life. It's the best life. And it's the only life that we have that God has given us that we may know his heart. And we may know his affection. Because God's heart and his affection is wrapped up in the Jesus. And so if we really want to understand the love of God and experience the love of God, we find it ultimately as we are hidden in Christ Jesus, who is our only way. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life to us. We thank you, God, that you are a, a pursuer. And we don't have to look for you. You find us wherever we are. God, you bring us back to you. You draw us near. We thank you that in you, Father, that we can be fully, fully, fully known past, present, and future, and fully accepted and fully loved because of the work of Jesus. And apart from that, Lord, there's no way. There's no way. And so, Lord, I pray that we would renounce the counterfeit loves that we have in this world that don't acknowledge who we are. God, that we would confess, Lord, the hidden parts of ourselves, Lord, that are afraid to be loved and afraid to be vulnerable. God, that we would find ourselves, Lord, underneath the cross of your son, Jesus, Understanding that at the cross we were equally loved and equally forgiven um, in Jesus' name. God, we ask for your spirit and your guidance in our lives that you would search us and know us that we may, you may find what is in us, Lord, that is deadening our affections of you, that we may experience the life and love that you promise in Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.